Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Revolution recap. We're coming to you today after the New England Revolution opened their 2022 campaign with a thrilling 2-2 draw for Portland Timbers in Providence Park. I'm Chris Lucas, and joining me today, as usual, is Sean Donahue. Sean, how are you tonight? Good. I'm excited to finally get the Revolution season kicked off. We had uh, two false starts with uh, two forfeited Champions League games, so it was nice uh. to see the Revolution finally play a meaningful match tonight, uh, and an exciting one too with a back and forth 2-2 draw. A good, good road point to start the season. Yeah, I'm with you. Finally, finally getting to see some Revolution soccer. So happy. And I uh, need to mention also joining us tonight is Sam Minton of the Bent Muskets. Sam, how's it going? Going good, going good. Again, just happy to have uh, some Revolution soccer in our lives. Uh, somehow, I, I uh, thought that it was going to be a tie, and I'm somehow left disappointed with the game. But overall, just happy to have Revolution soccer back. Well, there you have it. Sam Minton doomed the Revolution to drawing tonight. <laughs> And coming with one point, uh, I think you're the reason that uh, that Chara was able to hit that beautiful bike uh, to tie it up for Portland. But anyway, Revolution Soccer is officially back and in full swing, which means we're going to be giving our key takeaways. Uh, it's that time of year. Sam, I'm going to start with you. Give us your key takeaway from tonight's match. Yeah, I noticed it right from the jump. And DeLon Jones, I just think, had a really good game. Uh, he was just very active. Um, you could see him getting involved in the attack, of course. And it was interesting to see that. Obviously, with Tejan Buchanan gone, you know, you kind of need that presence on the outside. So to see that from DeLon, you know, he looked very good um, getting those crosses in. Obviously, a lot has been talked about his left foot. He just looks like a really complete player. He looks like a player that, you know, last year we were hearing that he was getting whispers from Europe. And it makes perfect sense with how he's playing. So I thought DeLon Jones... Looked great today. Was probably the best player out of the entire back line, and we'll definitely probably get into that. Uh, but Dewan had a really great game, in my opinion. Yeah, I love that takeaway, Dewan Jones. I think a uh, very active night for him. In my opinion, maybe the most active player on the entire pitch. Uh, didn't get the foot mob rating or whatever for man of the match, uh, but he had a solid performance regardless. Uh, and I think it was a a key contributor to uh, the Revolution's success tonight. Uh, maybe not so much. Uh, a detriment to to why they conceded goals, but uh, for the success part, I think Dewan Joan was always there. Uh, Sean, what do you got for us uh, in key takeaways, or do you want to add on to Dewan Jones? Yeah, just really quickly, I think to to support the the fact that he was you know the guy that was most involved, he had 88 touches with led all led all Revolution players in this one, and uh, two key passes, which was second only to Carlos Hill, who had six, which is a good number, but for Carlos Hill, actually a tiny bit low, um, but. You can't really complain about that. Yeah, Dewan Jones, by far the best defender on the Revolution tonight, uh, kind of on both ends of the pitch. So a lot of credit goes to him. Um, but my takeaway was about someone that, you know, we didn't know what to expect of coming into the game. There were three Revolution debuts um, in the starting lineup, Sebastian Legette, Omar Gonzalez. We've all seen a lot of those two players. We had a good idea what to expect. Um, they're veterans. They played for the U.S. national team. Earl Edwards, on the other hand, is a 30-year-old goalkeeper that had six MLS starts to his name going into this season. Uh, last played in MLS in 2018 for Orlando. I don't know about you guys. I don't really remember his five appearances for Orlando. So I didn't really know what to expect for Earl Edwards. I saw him a couple times for Revs 2 last year. I, I think he gave up a good amount of goals for Revs 2, but that's not, you know, not a great way to, to judge a player. Uh, but I thought he looked really, really good coming into this match. Um, a revolution without Matt Turner, without Brad Knighton due to injuries. Um, so down to their you know, third choice goalkeeper, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming. I'm assuming Brad Knighton probably would have started if he was healthy. Um, but Earl Edwards really, really stepped up and made a couple of really big saves in this one. He had that first half save where you know, Brandon Bay got caught kind of flat-footed, and I forget who it was who had the shot, but you know, close-range shot. Well, not the best shot, but still very good job by Earl Edwards to make himself big. Um, then he had another big save in the second half. Um, and I can't really fault him for either of the goals they conceded. I don't think there was much he could do. I don't think, you know, if Matt Turner was out there that the revolution get a shutter in this one. Um, but so Earl Edwards was the guy that I think had the the most to to prove in this match because, you know, he hasn't had a chance to play for, at MLS level since 2018. Um, and I think he showed a lot and, you know, really left Bruce Arena with, um, you know, some some questions going forward on, you know, when Matt Turner does go away or when Matt Turner is not available, you know, should Earl Edwards get more shots? 
um, you know, than Brad Knighton, especially, you know, given Brad Knighton's 36, Earl Edwards 30 probably has a, a longer future in the league, and Earl Edwards showed really, really well tonight. Yeah, I love that you brought up Earl Edwards. I know we're going to talk about him a little bit more later on as well, but uh, he definitely deserves the the comments right now. Uh, coming into the match, I was unsure who was going to play keeper. Uh, when I saw Earl Edwards, I was like, all right, let's see what, what, what the guy's got. W- what's he going to bring to this roster? And I think it's safe to say he really kept the revolution in the game tonight. Uh, and if it wasn't for him, I think the scoreline probably would have been more like 4-2. Uh, so shout out Earl Edwards. Great job. Uh, I'm going to move on to my key takeaway. And I'm kind of taking a little bit of a positive note right here. I think this team has the potential to be even better than last year. Uh, and I know that's kind of a crazy thing to say after seeing one game from a team because I, we've only really seen one other preseason match. Uh, and it, other than that, this is all we've seen of the, the 2022 revolution. Um, but the way that that the forwards are working and the amount of pressure that they're able to apply to the back line of, of Portland and... I, you know, credit to Portland. I think they're a fantastic team. Obviously, uh, they made MLS Cup last year, uh, of course, falling to New York City uh, in penalties. Uh, so they are an MLS Cup caliber team, and the Revolution went toe-to-toe in their house. Um, that press was just really, really impressive, especially in the first half. I, I liked seeing how Legit worked with everybody. Uh, it really added a different dynamic, and having that sort of uh, a veteran presence that I think the revolution have been lacking. They've found an, a new way to, to be creative while still having that sort of confidence in midfield, which I really liked. Omar Gonzalez, another new piece that was in there. Uh, I thought he had a up and down sort of night, um, but it was nice to see the, uh, the, the elements of the of game that he can bring that Andrew Farrell and Henry Kessler and John Bell don't necessarily bring, which is, I guess, more of an attacking presence which maybe not what you're looking for in a defender but it's nice to see how how, how that change is going forward um, obviously we're going to talk about the defense a little bit later I think there's a lot to be improved upon there but overall this team was really impressive uh, for something that we really didn't know what to expect coming into I'm excited to see how they get on uh, as the season progresses and as uh, you know Champions League also progresses um, before we move on was there anything anyone wanted to add to the potential of this team I completely agree with what you, what you said there. The only thing I want to add is I know we're going to talk a lot about you know the revolution and their defense and the the pieces that they were missing. Uh, I thought the revolution offense looked you know really good in this one and could have scored more goals. Uh, but I do think we you know at the same time as we're going to you know maybe give the rev a little bit of a pass for you know, Henry Kessler missing and Matt Turner missing. I need to mention that Portland was missing a lot of guys too. Um, you know one of their center backs was making only his third MLS appearance. The, you know their goalkeeper wasn't their first choice last year. I think he made five appearances last year. Um, so it was the revolution going up against you know the Western Conference champions, but it was a weakened Western Conference championship. Uh, Western Conference champion defense um, that I think the, benef- the rev- benefit of the revolution in the same way we're going to give the revolution some excuses. I think we have to also have to point out that the offense wasn't playing the, you know, the top tier Portland center back and goalkeeper pairing that, you know, they had last year. Yeah, that's a very good point. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, I want to move on and maybe discuss the lineup a little bit. So revolution rolled out in what appears to be a four, four, two diamond formation. Uh, a lot of similar names or familiar names from last season. Uh, Books and Bo still playing up top. Carles Heel, the number 10 spot. In the midfield, we're rocking Sebastian Leggett, Tommy McNamara, and Polster. Uh, and then the back line is, uh, was Dewan Jones, Omar Gonzalez, Andrew Farrell, Brennan Bai, with Earl Edwards and Nett. Uh, were there any surprises uh, for you guys? I'm going to jump to you, Sam. What, what's, what jumped out to you as uh, maybe a shocking element for this lineup tonight? When it comes into the lineup, I, I have to give credit to a uh, fellow media member, Tom Quinlan. He was he mentioned it in our pregame spaces. Just the fact that in the entire match day lineup, Arne Tristison did not make it on there. I thought it was really interesting. You know, definitely could have been a guy that you could have used. Obviously, if you you have a guy like Tommy McNamara come off uh, due to a yellow card, if you want to have a more attacking, you know, type of team, you can insert our nutrition into there. Obviously, you've got guys like Maciel, Captoon. You also had someone like even Boateng. Uh, but I think, especially in the midfield, you know, Maciel and Captoon more of a defensive. You know, they're going to be more solid guys in that area of the game. Arner's really someone you bring in if you're looking to score a goal. Um, so I think it was really interesting just the fact that he was completely left off the lineup. Uh, 
kind of doesn't signal well for what the rest of the season could look like. Again, it is just one game, but if you're getting guys like Ryan Spaulding, Justin Rennix, if those guys are starting over a former World Cup player, uh, Arne Tristan, doesn't exactly bode well for him. So it'll be interesting to see how it develops. Obviously, it is just the first game. Maybe the home game, he makes it on. Maybe he even gets it to the starting lineup. Uh, but things don't look great for Arne Tristan right now. Yeah, and you know, do we know if he was injured or not? I mean, I was shocked he wasn't in the lineup. It, but and there was you know a couple of injuries that we, we weren't told about. You know, we didn't know Kester was going to be out. We had a sense of you know Matt Turner. They didn't give a lot of details on that. You know, Brad Knight and we thought could happen. Um, I was wondering if there's any chance Tristan was was injured. I mean, from what I again no, don't know anything. Our boy Seth was able to uh, Seth Humber from the bent, from the lovely Bent Musket uh, reported that Kessler was out with an injury. Um, I saw uh, Arne Tristan at training, but I, again, Henning Kessler was also training as well. Uh, so he could have an injury, but he looked pretty fine to me. Yeah, we don't know anything. I, I'll take the team for their word, which might might be a bad move on my part, but he wasn't on the injury report. Uh, so he looked pretty good in training. So if he is hurt, he's doing a great job of hiding it. Yeah, and I, I, you know, there were no surprises for me in the starting lineup. Um, once we found out about the injuries, I think, you know, like like uh, Sam said, Seth had reported about Henry Kessler, um, but you know, the team wasn't particularly open about it. So I think once once we knew Henry Kessler was out, it made sense to me that Omar Gonzalez was the starter. Um, I know a lot of people would have liked to see John Bell. I think I probably would have liked to have seen John Bell, but you know, Omar Gonzalez, I don't think was brought here to be the fourth string center back. I think he was brought here to step up in big games like this when they needed him. Um, and that's why they put him out in this game. And, you know, you can question how well he played. I, I thought he looked pretty shaky early on and, you know, kind of came into the game and got better as the game went on. And still, I, I still think I would have preferred John Bell. But, um, you know, realistically, Omar Gonzalez you know, could be the highest paid center back on the roster. We don't know what he's making, but unless he took at least a 60 percent pay cut, he's the highest paid center back on the roster. And you know maybe he did. Um, and, you know, at worst, he's probably the second highest paid center back on the roster. So I don't think he's here to you know be a bench warmer and just solely a, a kind of a veteran guidance player. You don't pay that much for that. Um, so, you know, I, that didn't surprise me. Um, I expected the diamond. I think the revolution built their roster to be in a diamond formation. You know, there aren't a lot of wide players on this team. Um, and I think that's by design. Um, and so it didn't surprise me that it was essentially the same lineup we saw from the revolution last year with Sebastian Leggett replacing Tejan Buchanan, Omar Gonzalez replacing Henry Kessler because he was hurt and Earl Edwards starting in goal because, you know, Matt Turner and Brad Knighton were, were injured. Um, so I, I'm with Sam. The only surprise was that Tristan wasn't on the bench. I, I would have thought that he was a useful player that they could have put in this game. Um, personally, I would have liked to have seen him over Captoom. I don't think Captoom added that much when he came on, um, you know, off the bench. So, you know, that, that's the one surprise to me is they're kind of the bench decisions. But, you know, again, I, I wouldn't be shocked if there was some sort of, you know, little injury that he picked up or something, because I don't really understand why it wouldn't have been part of the, the game day roster otherwise. So I, I like that you're bringing up Arnold Tristison, mostly, you know, personal reasons, because when I, we made our predictions, I was asked who I thought would be leaving the team by the summer. And my pick was Arnold Tristison would probably be the one that would go. And this is boding well for my prediction. Not necessarily boding well for Arne Tristesen, though. Hopefully we get to see him contribute at some point. I am a fan of his. Uh, and, you know, a lot, lot, of, lot of season left to play. So I guess we'll have to see what uh, what what Bruce has in mind for Arne Tristesen. Uh Moving on to some debuts tonight. We had four Revolution debuts. Sebastian Leggett, Omar Gonzalez, Earl Edwards Jr., who we've all talked about already, uh, got starts in their Revolution debuts. Josie Altador also debuted tonight in the 79th minute coming on for Gustavo Bo. Uh, any, uh, Sean, I'm going to go to you first. Uh, was there any specific debut moments that really stood out for you, maybe aside from uh, Sebastian's goal? Uh, anything other than uh, than goal-scoring moments? Yeah, I thought, I thought Leggett looked pretty good overall. Um, he was very active in the midfield, you know, connecting on a lot of passes. The first half in particular, I thought he actually, you know, faded a little bit in the second half as far as his involvement went, which is probably why he was subbed in the 78th minute and didn't go the full 90. Um, but I thought he looked like he was going to be a great part of this revolution team and you know fit pretty well into that diamond. 
Um, so that was a good addition and a good good debut for him. And obviously the goal was the icing on the cake, a fantastic finish. Um, Omar Gonzalez, uh, you know, I think he is who he thought he was, which is, you know, a kind of a slow center back that offers a lot on set pieces going forward, um, but sometimes can get caught out of position defensively. Um, and, you know, when the Revolution are kind of playing that, you know, emergency defending type of game that they often play on the counterattack, I don't think he's a good piece for that. Um, so you know, I, I think we kind of knew that going, or at least I, I knew that going into the season that that's who Omar Gonzalez is. And I think nothing in this game changed my opinion of that, where if the Revolution are going to be a team that, um, you know, is on the counterattack and having to play emergency defending a lot, he's probably not a great piece uh, in, that, in that situation. Uh, with that said, he led the Revolution in shots on target. Um, he's a huge, d- dangerous piece on set pieces. And when Carlos Hill is swinging in the ball and you have Omar Gonzalez, Adam Buxa, and Brandon Bay in there to get their heads on crosses, uh, that's a pretty dangerous weapons you have up there. Um, but, you know, Omar Gonzalez, good veteran presence that I, I'm not sure is the best fit for this team and the way they play. But we'll, we'll see what happens going forward. It was his debut. Um, there's going to be a lot of things to iron out. You know, with the first time two guys play center back together, there's going to be communication issues. Um, so I, I wouldn't be too harsh. But uh, I did see some of the things in this game that I expected out of him, which is, you know, he's a, a slower uh, veteran that you know was really good in the air, but sometimes can get caught out. And if you're asking him to track back in kind of emergency defending situations, it's probably not ideal. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the first time for defensive partners to be playing together where you're talking Farrell and Gonzalez. They've never played a professional match together. But also Earl Edwards Jr. has never played with either right. Farrell or Gonzalez professionally. Uh, of course, Farrell and Jr. have some uh, chemistry, I'm sure, because they've been on the team together for an entire year. Uh, Earl Edwards never commanded uh, Andrew Farrell in a back line. Uh, in a match like this. So this is a, a very new dynamic for all three pieces. And maybe when you look at it in that context, maybe they performed better than expectations. Uh, but I still think I would have liked to have seen uh, a little bit tighter, less less uh, lanes opening up in the in the center of the pitch. They're right in front of in front of net. Uh, Sam, over to you. Any uh, any comments on the uh, on the debutants tonight? Yeah, uh, I would have to say that seeing what Earl Edwards Jr. was able to do, some of those that fifth-minute save, just getting involved in the game, you know, those really stood out to me. And I, I think it was Sebastian Legette who mentioned it in the post-game press conference, basically saying, you know, he kept us in the game, you know, he kept us alive. So I was really impressed uh, with Earl Edwards Jr.'s. Obviously, was impressed with Sebastian Legette, I think. I said mm-hmm. it when he uh, scored that goal. You know, that's why you, you get a guy like him. He had a beautiful touch, and it was just, a goal scorer's goal, as Bruce Arena has probably said before. Um, with Josie, I think you kind of just got what Josie is. I, it's too too early to tell, I would say. But it was just nice to get him those minutes. You know, Bruce Arena, after the game, was saying they just wanted to get him some minutes. And then when it comes to Omar, definitely thought there were some times uh, where he, he looked slow, definitely showed his age. Um, definitely there was some positioning or spacing issues when it came to his defending. But especially on the attack, he... You know, like like we said, you know, I think he had the most shots on target. So, you know, he's definitely a valuable weapon when it comes to, you know, corner set pieces and in general, just kind of, you know, leaping up and making those plays. So, you know, I, I think there's reason to be hopeful for all the, you know, guys who made their debut today. Obviously, uh, just to go back to Sean's point, I probably would have liked to see John Bell too, but I get why you start a guy like Omar Gonzalez and to his credit, he didn't have a game where you're like, I need this guy to get off the field. Like, he, he can't play. You know, he he bounced back from, I would say, a rough uh, first half and, you know, was able to get involved in the game. So, credit him for that. But it showed that, you know, Bruce Arena, he may know a thing or two about what he's doing, uh, bringing these uh, veteran guys in. Yeah, you know, you use the word hopeful, and I think that's exactly the word I would use as well. Uh, they all looked overall willing to contribute and happy to be here. And, you know, Josie Altador is probably the only one that we didn't really get to see a lot of. I think he played for a total of 18 minutes if you include uh, stoppage time. So uh, not a whole lot of him. I, I think he had something like uh, 10 or 12 touches. I forget ex- the exact number was. Um, I can look it up right now. It's 11 touches he had, uh, 56% passing. Um, he looked a little lost uh, from what I had saw. Maybe he's just trying to to get the feel of the game, see what's going on. Maybe that's how he plays. I've never really followed a whole lot of Josie. I've watched him play a little bit with the U.S. Uh, national team, and I've watched him play with Toronto when uh, they played against the Revs. But other than that, I, I haven't followed a whole lot of Altidore in his career. 
So maybe this is just what uh, what we need to expect from him going forward, or maybe this is him just uh, acclimating to his teammates. I guess uh, time will tell on that one as well. Uh, I think yeah. Alvador's got a got a lot of uh, a lot of finding his feet to do with this team because he joined the Revolution yeah. late in preseason. Um, you know, I, I don't know if this is the situation I would have forced him on into. I get that he needs minutes, um, but it was such a you know tight game at that point. And I also get that you know Gustavo Bo is thirty two years old. You don't want him to be playing ninety minutes every every week. Um, so that makes some sense too. But I, I do think that he you know struggled a little bit to find his footing in this one. You know, he he won a couple aerial duels and you know kind of headed it back to nobody when he had those opportunities. Um, you know, I, I expect him to be a lot better, but, you know, I, it was a tough situation for him to have come into in a very tight game to make his debut with a team that he hasn't been with very long. So I do question Bruce's decision a little bit to kind of put him in that situation, even, you know, even knowing that he does need minutes. So I, that's a that's a great point that you're bringing up, too, because it looked like, at least from the broadcast perspective, Josie Altador was already ready to come in the game while the Revs were winning 2-1. So maybe in that in that scenario, revs are up, get this guy some minutes, get him on the pitch, let him finish out the last 11 minutes, get Gustavo off the pitch, where, you know, a player that typically doesn't help defensively that much and maybe has is getting tired legs. I don't see that as a bad substitution when you're up a goal. No. Uh, before that substitution was made, uh, or was official, of course, there was that, that beautiful char bikes bicycle kick goal um that i'm sure we're gonna see on replays uh all week that goal happened and then it tied up do you think that maybe bruce should have maybe called an audible at that point and said hey you know what josie maybe this isn't the time for you uh or do you think it, it was smart to maybe get some fresh legs up top and and try to try to get another one or maybe the game plan was let's grind out this one point yeah, I think overall, just it, it could have just been the case. It was just too late. But I think, obviously, if a team goes in wishing to get three points, I'm not saying that the Revs had in their head that, oh, we got to grind out a point. But I think especially early on this season, you know, being able to get a point is definitely valuable. And I, Seth, uh, Seth McCumber, I said it plenty of times, that <laughs> Bruce Arena is a guy who likes to get just get into the postseason and then, you know, really go on a run there and build momentum, you know, later on in the season. Cause you know, once you're in, anything can happen. So I think starting off, you know, getting a guy like Altador minutes is definitely valuable. You're going to need him, especially if, uh, don't want to upset you, Chris, uh, but if Adam Gugsa does eventually leave in this, the summer, like it seems like, uh, you're definitely going to need Josie Altador to step up. So I think it's, it's pretty, pretty good to, you know, make sure you get some minutes Get, get his feet under him, and hopefully when you need him down the road, you know, he'll be full fit, ready to go. Well, you'd think, too, if he's going to be coming in to, to fill in for Adam Buxa once uh, that sale happens, assuming it does happen, maybe you'd want to sub him on and take Buxa off and try to see if you can get some chemistry between him and Bo. I don't know. I digress. I'm, <laughs> I'm, going, I'm going to go on and on about that because there's a lot of, you know— uh, a, a, a lot of what if questions that we could we could propose here um, as far as the scenario around Josie and him being come on uh, coming on at that time. Um, but let's let's move on. Otherwise, we'll never finish this uh, this podcast. Uh, we had some missing pieces tonight. Uh, we've talked about it briefly. Matt Turner, Brad Knighton, both out with injuries. Uh, Henry Kessler also out with an injury. Uh, is there any concern as far as uh, any of those three players really uh, with from what you saw tonight, if their injuries end up becoming something more long-term, or do you think it'll be all right uh, regardless? Sean, I'll go to you. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to judge because the Revolution are kind of so tight-lipped about injuries that, you know, we don't, we don't really know what these are. Um, Levin Reed from CBS said Brad Knighton, I think, was in concussion protocol and cleared it. So it, it sounds like he should probably be available next weekend, so Bruce will have a decision to make. Um, we don't really know... Uh, we, you know, we've, we've heard about Matt Turner's injury. We don't really know the extent of it. I don't I'm let Sam correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've really got much of an idea of a time frame. It doesn't sound like it's too serious, but we don't know. Um, and then, you know, Henry Kessler, it sounds like was training, um, you know, yesterday or a couple of days ago, rather. Uh, so it sounds like that's probably not too serious. But, you know, Earl Edwards played well. So if he's your third choice goalkeeper and you have to play him another game, I'm not too concerned about that. I, I do think that when you go from you know Henry Kessler and Adam and um, Andrew Farrell, who've had such a good 
pairing together to dropping Henry Kessler and putting Omar Gonzalez in. I do think you lose a lot on the back line, um, both in kind of consistency and chemistry there and just in the type of players that they are and the way that, you know, Kessler um, can kind of, I don't know, his, his pace and everything makes him a better defender in kind of the rev system when they're stuck doing some emergency defending on counters and things like that. Um, so, you know, if Kessler's out for more than a couple games, I do have some concerns there. And, you know, I, I don't know how Bruce is going to look at CONCACAF Champions League. I, I wouldn't surprise me if even if Kessler was healthy, he says, you know, Omar Gonzalez is a guy that's won this before. I want to put him out there. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. But I, I, I feel more comfortable with the Revolution's back line when it's Farrell and Kessler, um, in part because of the, you know, the chemistry that they've developed over the last couple of years. Yeah, and also uh, just to Sean's point, I, I would have to agree just in terms of Kessler probably being the most worrying Obviously, it doesn't seem like it'll be a long-term thing, but if it does happen to be a long-term thing, obviously, I think Omar is serviceable, but I, I personally would much rather see a guy like Henry Kessler uh, paired up with Andrew Farrell and, you know, just the chemistry they've been able to build. And, you know, I think Henry Kessler has really been able to grow as a player uh, in his first two seasons. So seeing what, seeing how long he's out could be interesting, but I think when it comes to the goalie, uh, the goalkeeper, Matt Turner is going to be leaving anyway, so if you're going to get a guy like Earl Edwards even more start, get an idea of how invested you have to be in bringing an outside goal, goalkeeper, you know, no reason to be mad at that. I definitely think it when it comes to, you know, the back line, that's probably where you'd be the most concerned. Like I said, I saw Kessler, he was pretty active in training uh, when I went down there, so hopefully it should just be something small. But if it is something more, you know, that's definitely something to keep an eye on that could uh, cause some problems for the Reds. Yeah, you know, you, you took my take uh, right out of my mouth with the, with the Matt Turner stuff. If, if he's out for a, for a bit of a longer time than maybe what anyone is expecting, is that really such a bad thing, knowing that he's going to Arsenal in the summer? Of course, we want Matt Turner on the pitch. We want to see him as much as possible. I think we're all fans of Matt Turner. and We just want to root for him. And having that sort of confidence... Uh, in your goalkeeper such a huge huge thing as a fan uh, but also you're giving a lot of exposure to Brad Knighton or Earl Edwards Jr. to to show what they got and to really see maybe what this team's going to look like in the second half of the year which I would argue is the most important half of the year um, I guess you know they're both equally important but uh, I would much rather like to know what the team's going to look like to finish the season than what it looks like to start a season and on that topic, too, the Revs have uh, apparently expressed interest in Ethan Horvath. So maybe that's an avenue that gets explored in the summer. And maybe Matt Turner being injured right now kind of gives Bruce and the front office a bit of an insight to say, hey, this is exactly what we got going on. Do we need to invest in Ethan Horvath? Do we need to invest in another goalkeeper? I saw uh, uh, St. Clair. I forget what his actual yep. full Dane name St. is. Dane, Dane St. Clair, thank you. Uh, over from Minnesota United. Apparently there was interest in him as well from the revolution. So they're looking, they're, they're actively looking to make sure that they can fill, fill that spot that Matt Turner is going to leave. Um, but it's going to be nice to know. Maybe that's just not your highest priority. Um, so. Yeah. Two, two quick, two quick thoughts. There is one as I know we, we you know, focused on Henry Kessler being out. Um, but the one thing I will say is if the revolution go to CONCACAF Champions League, I think their chances of beating a team like Pumas is increased dramatically if Matt Turner is available. That's where I think it would really hurt the revolution. Yeah. Um, you know, when you're when you're going up against the odds against, you know, a team from Mexico. So that that that's where I think they could use him a lot. Um, on Ethan Horvath, I think that would be a fantastic signing for the revolution. There was some people on the hashtag that had mentioned his name, like, oh, there's no way this could possibly happen. And then Doug McIntyre came out and said, this actually legitimately a chance that they could have, you know, they are interested in him, um, a writer for Fox sports. So that's, you know, there's some legitimacy there. Um, And that would be an extremely exciting signing because we, you know, we've seen what he could do for the U S national team when called upon. And he's a very promising American goalkeeper. That's actually a year younger than Matt Turner. Um, So to replace Matt Turner with him, uh, would be just, you know, fantastic. I don't think you could get a better option as a replacement than him. Um, you know, again, we, we saw from Earl Edwards tonight was really promising, but, you know, he's a 30-year-old keeper that's got six MLS starts to his name prior to tonight. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be the next U.S. national team goalkeeper. Ethan Horvath, you know, it, it could be, you know, a guy that goes to the World Cup with the U.S. national team along with Matt Turner and, and Zach Steffen. So that would be an amazing signing if the Revolution can pull it off. But that said, I don't know how it happens. I think, you know, that he's under contract for another few years. They'd have to pay a transfer fee. Um, he's probably have a TAM salary on top of that. So, I, I you know, he's, they're not going to want to make him a DP. 
Um, I don't know if there's an opportunity to loan him or what, but it's the financials that I think get tricky with that one. Yeah, 100%. It, it is a very intriguing uh, proposition, though, to see uh, Ethan Horvath coming to New England. Um, we do got some listener questions coming up, but before we jump into listener questions, I want to take a minute to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits is the go-to place to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. The passion for the beautiful game doesn't have borders, and neither does the selection. And talking about all these U.S. men's national team players, we got Sebastian Legette and Matt Turner. But there's also someone, uh, Jermaine Jones, who played for the Revolution and played for the U.S. men's national team. Glossa Kits has a beautiful Jermaine Jones kit up right now. Uh, and if you act quick, that kit could be yours. If you head to GlossoKits.com today, you can get 15% off your order using code REVSRECAP. That's REVSRECAP at checkout for 15% off your order at GlossoKits.com. Thank you, Golasso, so much for being a great partner of the Revolution Recap. Okay, listener questions. Jumping right in. We have a lot of questions on the back line, and I think that's the place that we absolutely have to start tonight. I'm going to list off, rattle off, uh, I think we have five or six different questions or comments on the back line, and then I'm going to go to you guys, get your thoughts. Randy LH over on Twitter. Defense looks disorganized and scrambled a lot. Will Kessler and Turner returning fix that? How much trouble are we in until they do? Uh, Gustavo Lopez on Twitter says, please talk about the center backs. Sunday afternoon fullbacks. Well, talking about, to add context, we were talking about a poor night from Andrew Farrell. He adds, doubling it tonight to include Omar. It, I've said it for three seasons now that Turner makes the defense look way better than it actually is. Uh, John over on Twitter says, thoughts on the... Oh, that's... that. <laughs> I, I'm rusty too, okay? This is not a, a defensive question. Um, but Jim over on Twitter said, the back line. Um, so a lot of questions on the back line. Uh, Sam, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think about the back line? What's wrong with the back line? Do we need to worry? It's one game. Are we hitting the panic button yet? Uh, I do have my hand off of the panic button, but I think you do have to look at, it was really surprising uh, for me just to see some of the spacing, some of the positioning. This really did not look good. There were some times, like I mentioned before, especially early on, I would say Omar Gonzalez just did not look like he was uh, at all aligned with what the Reds are doing defensively and uh, just looked really slow personally, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And then we, we especially saw this in terms of positioning-wise with Brandon By, I thought Brandon By looked offensively. You know, he was able to get that goal. That was great and all. But defensively, w- was not the best. You know, some of his positioning, keeping guys on sides, you know, th- they really hurt the revolution almost. Even that char of uh, offsides that we all thought was way offsides, you looked at it and you're like, Brandon By might have kept him on. So definitely think they need to work that out. That could just be communication. Again, these are guys who are playing together for the first time. When you look at when you look at Gonzalez, Farrell, Edwards Jr., and everyone, so you know communication could be a role. Uh, but I think overall, you know, that probably gets solved with having Kessler back. I think if anything, buys the area to look at because he's definitely going to be a right back. So you have to, you know, make sure that he's practicing proper position and not keeping guys on side, but. I think when you get Kessler back, you don't necessarily have to worry about that as much. I think you'll see Omar in more, uh, I, I'll say, better opportunities. I'll say he's getting better opportunities. And, and obviously, Dewan Jones was absolutely the, the best defender, in my opinion. Not defensively. You know, obviously, he did some great work in attack. But, you know, he did make a great, great play. I forget when it was. But just being able to take the ball uh in this corner of the field and uh, take it from a Portland player and kind of maintain possession. I thought that was really impressive by him. Uh, So I wouldn't press the panic button, but definitely when it comes to Brandon Pye, he's someone you want to keep an eye on and see if he can hopefully improve uh, in terms of his defensive efforts. Sam completely hit the nail on the head for me. And, you know, Chris, you brought it up earlier with, as far as the center backs pairing goes, you know, it's a new goalkeeper, Earl Edwards, that hasn't you know played a first team minute for the revolution before. Uh, Omar Gonzalez making his debut, um, you know, him and Farrell didn't have much time to prepare and build chemistry. That's something that it's way too soon to hit the panic button on. You know, I, I did say that Omar Gonzalez, um, you know, didn't have a great game. And, you know, some of these things are things that you'd expect from him. But again, still, you know, you got to get these guys more time um, in the center back pairing. But I, I'm 100% in agreement with Sam is that, you know, if I was going to be 
concerned about something. It's the right back situation because I do think that the mistakes you saw from Brandon by are the same mistakes you saw from Brandon by in the second half of last season where, you know, you know, Bruce Arena even commented on him at times last season that he was making some mistakes that he can't make. Um, and some of that came from black focus. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think Brandon by is the concern right now of that defense where, you know, people are commenting on how great of a game he had because he scored a wonderful goal and it was a fantastic header. Uh, but defensively, you know, he was partially responsible, I think for both goals, the Reds conceded. And I think he was lucky to not be partially responsible for four goals. Um, if not for a great save from Earl Edwards in that, you know, offsides call that I think was very, very close. Um, so that's, that's the concern for me. And it's more of a concern because we saw it last season too, even when Henry Kessler and Matt Turner were out there. Um, you know, I think Henry Kessler and Matt Turner, you know, fixed some of the center back communication issues, but I'm not sure that they fixed the, the right back issues because those right back issues exist last year too. Um, again, you know, Brandon by is a, you know, shown at times he's a fantastic right back at the beginning of last season, the first half, I thought he was really good, but there was a, a second half of last season where he was making these same mistakes and that's carried over at least from this game uh, to this season so far. So that's, that's the concern for me and I'm not hitting the panic button yet, but I'm closer to the panic button at that spot than I am at the center back spot. I fully agree with that. Brandon by uh, according to foot mob had an 8.2 rating for the match. And I think that's definitely a bit skewed because these ratings don't necessarily take into account uh, positioning. And I think Brandon Bayes biggest weakness is his positioning, at least defensively. Uh, and, you know, the lack of concentration that you did mention, he is a pretty valuable asset, I would say, to the attack, although he was uh, only one for five on crosses tonight, which, uh, excuse me, one, one for one four for, for crosses. One for one six. For, <laughs> I keep looking at the wrong set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's one for 17 percent. It's, it's not great for crosses. So he didn't necessarily have a great night for crossing tonight. I know that he has been getting better year over year when it comes to his crosses. Uh, but I still think he's a valuable piece when it comes to uh, attacking in transition. The I think the, the difficult part is how do you get a player like Brendan By to also be a contributor uh, on the defense and to make sure that he's staying in line with his with his back line and and not playing uh, attackers in because that that Chara play that you that you brought up Sam it was a lot closer than than I thought it was and that was it was because Brandon Bay was three four yards behind uh, the rest of the defenders and that's a pretty big difference when when you're talking uh, someone that's going to be offside or not so uh, Rez were lucky to get away with that one uh, Brandon Bay is definitely the biggest concern for me as well uh, as far as defensive abilities go uh, center backs. I, no panic button here. Uh, I think they'll get it sorted out. And uh, if they don't, Bruce will do something in the summer window. I hope. Uh, moving on, uh, John, over on Twitter, I started reading uh, your comment earlier, your question. John says, uh, thoughts on the Odasawi to Revs movement. And is there a, a movement to bring Owen Odasawi to the Revs? I, I might have missed this one. Do either of you know anything about this? I, I saw one tweet about it when... Yes, I saw one tweet about it when I got this question. I, I checked the website, yeah. but one or two people uh, mentioned Owen Odasawi, who was you know at Club Bruges with with Tejan, an American um, over there that that hasn't played I think at all this year and has you know one cap for the national team a year ago. Um, I don't know I don't know what the uh, what the movement is or what the thought is. Is it, you know, I guess people want him to be loaned to the Revolution. He's a you know 21 year old that they paid 3.5 million for. Um, I mean. Sure. If, uh, if Club Bruges wants to loan him to the Revs and he's not going to you know, take a lot, a lot of salary and there's not going to be a transfer fee, I don't see why not. But it's a it's an interesting, uh, you know, he's a, he's a player that I can't say I've seen a lot of. So I can't I can't I can't comment too much. Um, but, you know, he he played for the Mass Elite Academy. So I guess there's there's uh, some ties there. <laughs> All right. Uh, Traeger Girati over on Twitter says uh, Junior looks strong in net. Buxa did all he could, but didn't get any service most of the night. Omar Gonzalez and Andrew Farrell, yikes. Uh, 4-4-2 is a huge liability on the counter. Josie was forced on when he should have been trying to preserve the lead, was lazy, and provided no energy for the 10 minutes that he was on. It's a lot of lot of comments there. Not really any questions, but uh, Sam, did you anything you want to you want to comment on as far as uh, Traeger's thoughts? Yeah, I'll, def I'll take a shot when it comes to Buxa. I thought. He had a pretty good game. I think, obviously, uh, some better service could have helped, uh, especially coming from Brandon By. Some of those crosses weren't exactly uh, the best. But I think, too, uh, Portland was being very physical with Adam Buxa. I think we saw that a lot. 
I wonder if that'll be a strategy going forward. Obviously, I think we've seen teams say that approach with Carlos Hill, uh, but taking with a guy like Adam Butza, not allowing him to get into the air or just continuing to, you know, bather him, it will be very interesting to see. I think that more played a role possibly even in the service because you saw, you know, when he was able to get the ball, you know, he, he almost scored that late goal, you know, uh, and uh, it, he, he's able to get up. So I think it's just very interesting to see how other teams approach uh, defending Adam Busa and, you know, whether it just be absolutely beating him up until uh, maybe he's not able to get anything going. Uh, but overall, credit to Busa. I thought he had a decent game. Uh, obviously, would have liked him to get a goal, but I think, you know, with everything he had, you know, he performed quite well. Well, talking about DPs, Paulo S on Twitter says, my one gripe is Bo. I thought he was okay, but a DP needs to be more than just okay. He didn't finish last season strong and didn't look too threatening today. Definitely want to see more versus FCD. Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts on how, how Bo performed tonight? I mean, I think everyone was saying the same stuff at the beginning of last season. He's a you know, streaky player that when he gets going uh, is phenomenal and can score from anywhere and is you know the most dangerous guy on the pitch. But um, you know, he, 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 again, he's a streaky player. I think he takes some time to get going at the start of the season. We saw that last year and I, I think it's the same thing this year. So I'm not worried about it. Um, you know, if we are five games in and, you know, he's not having more of an impact than sure, but you know, I didn't think he was particularly stand out as being bad today. I just didn't think he, you know, had as much of an impact as we know he's capable of. So, um, I, I would expect that he, again, he's going to be a guy that takes a few games to, to get into the season and find his groove. But once he gets there, I, th- I think we'll see the same Gustavo Bo that we saw, um, you know, at his best last year. So I'm, I'm no, no concern for me there yet. Yeah, I'll add to the Gustavo Bo piece, too. I think in the first 10 minutes or so of the game, Gustavo Bo was, I, you know, we, we said how active Dewan Jones was. I think Gustavo Bo was the most active player on either side of the pitch for the, about the first 10 minutes. Uh, he was not afraid to take shots. He was not afraid to run back and defend a little bit when he needed to. Uh, he was looking like a completely different player than what we're used to seeing out of him. Um, but overall, I think, you know, he had a 0.12 expected goals. So uh, out of his three shots that he took, they were very uh, uh, low, low chance uh, of scoring. Uh, not not good opportunity shots, I guess. But uh, those are also the shots that Gustavo Bo takes that he does score on. Uh, when you don't think anything's going to come of it. I will say there was a, a moment later in the game where he, uh, Gustavo got played in over the top and he was kind of inside the box. It was a tight angle. I kind of wish he would have taken the shot there and maybe forced, uh, forced a save with some sort of rebound uh, being offered up to, to Buxa or someone other trailing runner. But instead, he, he played it back and no one was really there. So it was kind of just a turnover. It was a little bit disappointing from that moment. Sometimes when you really want Gustavo to just shoot it and just let it rip, he doesn't. So that's a bit disappointing, but I, I don't really have a gripe with it. I thought that he had a very good performance overall. Uh, he went uh, 79 minutes. I, I don't have a whole lot of complaints. I, I think it was one of his better performances uh, when you're talking as a overall well-rounded player on the pitch. Um, not Obviously, he didn't score a goal. Obviously, there was no assists. Uh, but I thought he was pretty good. Uh, so no complaints from my side. Uh, Mike D on Twitter says, is Tommy Mack the guy next to Polster for the rest of the season or does someone else take that role? Uh, and I guess uh, other players that could possibly take that role, we're looking at Wilfred Captoon. We're talking about Maciel. Uh, is that pretty much it? Uh, Sam, do you have any any opinion on who else is going to be next to Polster? Yeah, I think overall, Tommy Mack's done a great job. He continues to do that. He does his job. You know, he serves uh, his role. But I think if this team wants to compete for an MLS Cup, they either need someone to fill that role in order and have Tommy be more of like a super sub bench role or also to just, you know, swapping in and out of games. Uh, when it comes to in-house options, I think at least this game, Masiel made the greatest case. Uh, I liked what I saw from him. You know, he was able to make some good decisions. I think, you know, one where um, there was a foul called and he was able to get an early free kick and try and get the ball up to Buxa. And overall, I just thought he performed quite well. But even then, don't exactly know if I'm thinking he can compete with Tommy McNamara. So you would hope that a guy like Arnie Tristison would. But again, it seems like he's in the doghouse. So it looks like it's going to come down to if the Rebs possibly make another uh, move into the midfield, maybe then you can feel comfortable enough to 
have Tommy McNamara take a little bit of a step back. Uh, but if not, I think right now, Masiel's your best bet. And even if that's the case, don't exactly think it's a, a great shot of him being able to compete with Tommy McNamara, even though to Masiel's credit, you know, he started a bunch of those games early on, uh, but he kind of fell off uh, in terms of Bruce Arena's favor, it seemed like, uh, towards the end of the season. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I think at least right now, no one's able to compete with Tommy McNamara, which isn't exactly a great thing for the Revs. Yeah, I, I like that you brought up Massiel, someone that we really haven't talked much about tonight. Uh, I thought quietly he had a, a very solid performance, but uh, again, it's it's not going to be a, a game-changing uh, type performance. Or that he's not necessarily that type of player that's going to be uh, a, a game-defining uh, impact, right, when he comes on or if he starts in place of Tommy Mack. I agree. I think Tommy Mack is going to be the way to go going forward. Uh, Jennifer over on Twitter. So strong in the first half, really got disorganized in the second half. Lively game. Um, yep, it absolutely was. Uh, I, I agree with that 100%. Uh, moving on, watch over on Discord. Should Earl Edwards Jr. be our backup going forward? Knighton is getting old, and he had a great game tonight. Uh, Sean, I know we've talked a lot about Earl Edwards Jr. Do you want to take, take one more one more shot at it? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's too soon to to make that statement and you know, declare him the backup going forward. But it was a very promising game. And I think he's deserved more opportunities to prove that, you know, he should be the backup again. You know, like like Waco said, Brad Knighton is getting old. <laughs> so, you know, he's not he's not going to be here forever. Uh, Earl, Earl Edwards is six years younger than Knighton. So I, I could see, you know, Earl Edwards taking that spot. But I'm not going to declare it after one game. It was one very promising game. He's earned more minutes to prove himself. But um too too soon to say that and you know we don't we don't know i guess the better question is, is who's going who's going to be the rev starter when matt turner leaves um you know is, is earl edwards good enough to be that or should they go out and get somebody and you know we don't know the answer to that either but earl, earl edwards did enough to to earn more minutes in my book and and it's a up for debate now uh, does matt turner save that over on twitter one of snow i didn't think wilford captoon was particularly effective in relief of legit would you have preferred to see Emma Boateng instead? And I really like this question because uh, Captoom is not necessarily a player that we've discussed much. Uh, he did have a, a, an impact on the game. Uh, I thought he looked pretty lively overall. Uh, as far as coming in for Legette, what that performance was like, I haven't really thought much about that or whether or not we should have seen Emma Boateng. Uh, I'm going to jump to you, Sam. What do you think? Uh, should we have seen Emma Boateng? Did you like Captoom? I definitely wouldn't mind seeing uh, Ima Boateng. I think the thing is, especially with Ima, it, you know, he's great working outside, you know, kind of more as a winger. And I don't know, it would be interesting to see just kind of the formation that the Reds would have to use in order to fit him in with the guys that they did have on the pitch. I think, you know, especially last year when you saw, you know, the Reds kind of operating more of that wider diamond with a guy like Tejan or when they were operating in more of a four-year-old. Uh, Four two three one, if I remember correctly. You know, you could definitely bring a guy like Ima Boateng on there, but if he could be a great spark, but I don't know if you know filling in specifically for Villajet, if that would be the best role for him. Uh, but definitely would not have been upset to see Ima Boateng because every time he comes off the bench, he's been able to make an impact. He's played great. Um, in terms of Captain, again. I would say, you know, he had a decent performance. If out of all the subs, I'd probably have to say that if anyone stood out, it was probably Masiel for me. But, you know, Captain, he had, he, I think he had a quality performance, nothing to complain about. But again, you know, not that performance where you're like, oh, maybe he can compete for, you know, a starting job. Because obviously, you know, we just mentioned Tommy Mack. Both, I would say, Captain and Masiel are more defensive focused. You know, they're not, no, they're not going to break out a Tommy Mack banger, I think. So, uh, you know, it's, Good to see Wilfred Captain have a solid performance, but it also isn't exactly great uh, in terms of, you know, the entire status of the midfield depth. Yeah. Sean, do you have anything you want to add on the Emma Boateng? Yeah, I mean, as far as Captain, we only attempted six passes. He didn't get much of an opportunity to do much. Um, I, I thought he was OK. I didn't think he made much of an impact. Um, so. You know, I, I'm with Sam. He certainly didn't. He, I didn't think he was bad, but he didn't show enough to say like this guy should be competing for a starting spot based on these 12 minutes. Well, I guess 18 minutes if you got the stoppage time. Um, as far as Boateng goes, you know, like Sam said, he's a guy that provides such a spark off the bench um, that any game that's close, you know, that the Revs are either you know trailing by a goal or tied in late, 
Um, you'd love to find a way to put him out there just to run at tired legs and see what he could do, especially the first game of the season where you know like these guys are probably not fully 90 minutes fit yet um, because they haven't played a lot of a lot of games. Um, so I, I'm disappointed they didn't find a way to put him out there. But Sam also you know made an excellent point that you know you have to change the way you play to play Emma Boateng because the 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 downside of this diamond is that you know when you have a, a, a pacey winger like Boateng he doesn't have a spot in it. Um, so, you know, do the revolution kind of play an unbalanced formation where they put him out there for, you know, for the jet and, you know, have him run at people and play kind of one guy that's wider, or do they, you know, switch to more of a flat four, four, two, where they have like Tarlace on the wing and, and Boateng on the other wing. Um, I don't know, but, uh, I, I would have liked to, them to have found a way to put him out there, especially when this game was at two, two, because you never know what he can do. Um, at the same time, I, I, I don't know if you noticed or not, but I'm curious, you know, I, I noticed the same as you that Altador was definitely coming in before that goal was scored. I don't know if Captoom was, I, I, I didn't quite see, but if Captoom, Captoom coming in at two, one, um, instead of Boateng makes a lot more sense to me, because I think if you're trying to hold on to a lead, you don't, you don't shift your formation and, and try to be creative. Um, so if that sub was decided before that and Bruce didn't want to pull it back for whatever reason, um, you know, that makes a lot of sense to me because I wouldn't, I wouldn't bring Boateng on when you're up a goal, um, in that situation, but I, I would have, you know, at two, two, even if he was coming on for somebody else in the 85th minute or something, at least give him a chance to kind of run at guys and see what he can do and, you know, put, put pressure on those tired Portland legs. It's interesting. I'm not sure if, uh, if, if that sub for Captain was was already decided or not. I'm guessing it most likely was, but the broadcast was definitely infatuated with Josie Altador yes. making his revolution <laughs> yeah. debut, which, you know, fair fair enough. Um, I, I was pretty excited to see to see Altador get out there, so I, I, guess, I guess I understand. But it, it is interesting that you bring up the fact that Emma Boateng doesn't necessarily fit fit what this team is doing or what Free Serena wants to do. Something that I, I've mentioned on a previous podcasts as well that. Bruce Arena really wants to play a narrow formation. And the fact that Tejan Buchanan was here kind of created a lot of problems because he's an outside wing type player and you can't put him on the bench. So it kind of forced Bruce to play a formation that he necessarily didn't really want to play. But now that Tejan's not here, you know, you're not forcing that sort of formation. And now you also don't even have the depth to really go into something, uh, some sort of bigger wide type formation. What is Emma Boateng's role going to be? And this also leads to one more question. I think now is we've, we've touched on the fact that uh, Arnold Tristison didn't make the bench and Emma Boateng did, but if Emma Boateng doesn't fit this roster and Arnold Tristison, we saw last year plays very well when it's uh, a more central role and very well, I should say better, right? He performs better when he's centrally uh, positioned. And if something that he is better at is also better suited to Bruce Arena's system and he's still not making the bench, I, that really, really gets me thinking that there's something underlying that, that we're not seeing or hearing about that that's going on. Uh, hopefully, in a, in a weird way, it's it's just an injury that's something that he'll get over soon and we'll, we'll see him get back out there. Because I think that the way that Arnold system plays... I would like to see him be maybe the sub over uh, Wilford Captain because, in my opinion, Arnold Tristan offers more than Captoom has. Uh, that said, I think Captoom also did okay tonight. I, I am maybe in a difference of opinion to the two of you, where every time that Captoom had a touch, I was like, all right, all right, he's looking all right. He's looking lively. He's looking uh, active. He's making smart decisions. Um, you could see the way that he's reading the field. Um, I, w I was more impressed with what I saw out there, but then again, my, my level of being impressed with, uh, with Willie Captoom, I guess is a little bit lower. Um, so, uh, maybe there's that too. I don't know. I, I, I can go on, I guess all night, apparently on this one. Uh, anything else we want to talk about with Captoom before we move on to the next question? Take that as a no. We have Eric over on Twitter. <laughs> says that uh, gonna be fun this year knock on wood the story of the opener last season was finding the will to come back from two down against a lesser team this was more like mid-season when we were performing well so draws felt like losses credit to portland though they earned that point uh 100 i think portland earned that point they deserved it uh again portland is one heck of an opponent uh a very tough team to beat and the fact that the revolution had the opener at Providence Park, which is also not an easy place to play, uh, and came away with a 2-2 draw. 
I think that's a good thing. Uh, the fact that they went up a goal twice and still failed to to come away with three, maybe that's a, something that's a, a negative that we want to talk about. But overall, I mean, I, I don't I don't think you could be unhappy with a two two draw. What do you guys think, uh, Sam? Yeah, it's kind of kind of like what I said. Obviously, going into this matchup, knowing that you don't have a guy like Matt Turner or Henry Kessler, you know, I thought the Reds could even drop points. Or, or I also mentioned, you know, the fact that you know wouldn't be surprised if they drop. But even just with how they were playing, it it kind of felt like a letdown, which I think in a weird way is a good thing. It shows that you know they were almost overperforming in my eyes. That you know they were able to get out to that lead. Obviously, it sucks that they weren't able to get the three points, but. I think if you told me, again, before the game, hey, the Revs are going to get a 2-2 draw, I'd be like, all right, you know, that, that's a good start for them, especially considering the circumstances. So definitely, you know, like we mentioned before, and I believe like you mentioned before, Chris, there's reasons to be hopeful for this team, which is always a good thing. 100%. And I was just quoting you when I was saying there's reasons to be hopeful. So um, I'm glad you brought it back to yourself. Um, <laughs> Eric on Twitter also went on to say uh, Edwards was terrific. Jones continues to shine. Legit proved something. Omar was better than he was in preseason, but I want Henry. And Farrell was familiar. I think those are all topics that we've all pretty much covered so far tonight. Um, anything else before we move on to some other notes? No, just going back to kind of the, the previous part of this, as, as you know, Portland did earn the draw. Uh, if you're looking at, at expected goals, um, you know, Portland had more expected goals than the Revs. They were 2.09 to 1.12, um, which again, to uh, Earl Edwards' credit, that you know, <laughs> slightly more than two when he held them to two. Um, you know, it, Portland played well and they created a lot of chances. Um, but at the same time, the Revolution played well and it looked like the Revolution team that we saw, um, you know, like Eric said, that we saw a lot last year. Um, you know, for for all the good things, they're you know really good at offense, a team that didn't look intimidated on the road, um, and also for the question marks that you had with the defense, which still exists. So, um, you know, to start the season in good form, considering the, the situation the Revolution were, have been in, where they thought they were going to have two competitive matches before this, and they didn't. Um, I think it was you know a really good job by Bruce Arena to get them ready for this. Um, you know, a much better job than for the playoffs last year when they had that that gap. Uh, um, you know, extra long gap. Uh, I think they did a better job here of kind of readjusting when they got put in a tough spot. And, you know, really good to see the Revolution come out that way and get two points, but, uh, or one point rather. But, um, you know, it really absolutely Portland Portland earned the draw. They, you know, this was a very, you know, a very back and forth match. Uh, I don't think, I don't think either team can be, you know, upset about, you know, how this ended in a draw. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I'm glad you brought up the expected goals. That's a set that I kind of glossed over. Uh, didn't even notice how how much in favor it was for for Portland. 2.09 expected goals on the night. Uh, yeah, so uh, credit to Earl Edwards. I think we all saw several saves from him. Uh, that really probably should have been a goal for Portland. So uh, I, I was impressed overall with with the way the team played and just just happy that we have Revolution Soccer back. Uh, looking forward to next week uh, it, with Dallas coming to town. And just keeping this train uh, moving. Some other notes that we want to talk about real quick. Uh, the Revolution did sign left back Ryan Spaulding to a first team contract. Uh, Ryan was previously with Revs 2. Uh, second round super super draft selection Ben Raveno signed a contract with Revs 2 and earned a start in tonight's closed door scrimmage. Uh, former Rev Isaac Anking has signed a contract with the Columbus 2. Columbus Crew 2. That's a really hard one to say. Uh, they play in MLS Next Pro. And then, of course, Revs return to action in one week on Saturday, March 5th, for their Gillette Stadium home opener at 1.30 to face visiting FC Dallas. Uh, that wraps it up for us today. Sam, do you have any final thoughts before we depart? And where can everyone find you on social media? Not, uh, once again, guys, it's an absolute blast uh, being able to talk with you. Uh, thanks again for having me on. And uh, make sure to feel free to follow me on Twitter at Sam underscore Manton 22. And more importantly, uh, just check everything out over at Threat Musket. Uh, you can follow us over at D Bent Musket, and uh, we'll have plenty of great stuff for you. And we'll, me and Seth McCumber, I believe, will both be in the press box next Saturday. So definitely it'd be great to be back at your life. Sean, what do you have for final comments? And where can everyone find you on social? Yeah, you can find me at Sean L. Donahue. Uh, great to be back. And thanks again to Sam for joining us today. Always a pleasure to have him on. Uh, and Chris, thanks for hosting. You know, just one final thought is I'm I'm very curious to see how the Revolution play uh, this next week with the, the game against FC Dallas, um, but then followed in kind of a tight turnaround with the CONCACAF Champions League against Pumas, 
will we see some rotation against Dallas? Uh, I think the lineup that we see Bruce Arena put up against Dallas is going to be very kind of indicative of just how important he, uh, the emphasis is on CONCACAF Champions League. If we see some rotation, I think that will be uh, a sure indication of, you know, the importance he's putting on CONCACAF Champions League. So, uh, you know, long week to till we play Dallas and then uh, going to be a very tight schedule for the revolution with uh, MLS, CONCACAF Champions League, MLS, CONCACAF Champions League. I think it's four games in 15 days after that. Yeah, I believe it's five and 15. And, five and 15, uh, you're yeah. right. Yep, that's right. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. It's, it's going to be a very crazy uh, three or two weeks, uh, 15 days, we'll call it. Uh, and yeah, Champions League is going to be a lot of fun to watch that. Obviously, we missed the uh, matches with Cavalli. So looking forward to that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Lucas, and you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter and also like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also send us an email at revolutionrecap at gmail.com at any time with your questions and comments. And please, if you haven't already, please rate and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Lastly, be sure to follow at The Bent Musket and www.thebentmusket.com. We will be back next week. Until then, thanks to everyone for listening, and thank you, Sam, for joining today. Go Revs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.